Hi Court Hackers, welcome to the podcast. Just me today, Stephen, your host. I'm going to be doing a bonus episode with Joy Cranham from the Family Survival Trust. Now Joy's been a guest on the show before where she talked about her experience growing up in the Exclusive Brethren and then obviously leaving. Today though I'm speaking with Joy about a very exciting event that the FST are putting on on Tuesday the 30th of May where psychotherapist and trainer specialising in supporting leavers of cults and coercive groups, Jilly Jenkinson, also a former guest on the podcast, will be speaking about her own journey out of a group and her newly published book which is called Walking Free from the Trauma of Coercive, Cultic and Spiritual Abuse, a workbook for recovery and growth. So Jilly will be speaking and then there'll be opportunity for people to ask questions. So you can book your tickets through Eventbrite. I've put a link in the show notes. So just click on that link and you can book your tickets now. And um, it would be nice to see you there. During my conversation with Joy, we explore the different types of support that leavers of abusive groups often need, including physical support, emotional and psychological support. And then we think about how society could step up to offer more help. And now here's the conversation with Joy Cranham from the Family Survival Trust. Hello, welcome to Cult Hackers, everyone. I'm Stephen, your host for today. No Celine today, but I am very happy to welcome a very special guest. In fact, re-welcome a special guest. Today we have Joy Cranham from the Family Survival Trust. Welcome, Joy again to the podcast thanks steve it's great to be here and you know spending time with you and talking about this important issue is always valuable to me great well thank you for coming and um before we start there's there's something coming up that um i know you're very excited about and that is pretty interesting so maybe you want to tell us about something that the family survival trust is doing very shortly we're doing several things i mean we are continuing to support people who have been affected by um, the harm that cultic organisations cause to a swathe of individuals. Um, but one thing we're doing to raise funds for the charity is inviting Dr. Jilly Jenkins to come and speak to us about her new book, Walking Free from the Trauma of Coercive Cultic and Spiritual Abuse, A Roadmap for Recovery and Growth. This is a book I know jilly has been working on for a couple of years now and it's a, a great tool that supports a lot of the work that she's doing as a psychotherapist and international speaker um, where she works primarily those um, as a director of the Hope Valley Counselling um, which is an organisation that is training counsellors to support people who have been affected by coercive cultic and spiritual abuse. So that sounds great. Um, actually, Jilly Jenkinson, we know Jilly. She has been on the podcast. And this is going back, oh, possibly two years, really. Uh, we had her on the show. Uh, we obviously loved her very much. She is fantastic. She's a great person and great to talk to. But I know how um, influential she is in the uh, in the treatment community, if you like, the people mm. helping us with um, some of our problems um, he's training an army of counsellors to help people like us which I think is is really exciting so Julie's going to um, talk at this event uh, what's her background uh, Joy? Julie was um, involved in a bible-based cultic organisation um, you know from a young woman from the time as a young woman and, and certainly in this event she will be speaking about her journey so I don't want to you know yeah. kind of reveal too much here yeah. but 
you know, she she is able to understand the, the process of recruitment, yeah. the process of um, becoming entrapped and and the consequences of coercive control, which happens to in you know enact that entrapment. It, it, it occurs through coercive control. And then the the consequence of that being as it was a religious-based group, you know, the spiritual abuse, the, the resulting delusions around or affect that happens with one's relationship with um, their religious and spiritual selves. And that that kind those kind of injuries are where Julie then starts her journey of recovery, which has led her to this place where she is, you know, now actively using her skill set and the uh, academic qualifications she's acquired mm. to support other people in developing those skills too. Yeah, so this is one of the things that I really like about her is, you know, it's rooted in um, research. Um, so it's not just somebody talking about their own experience. Of course, that's a, a useful foundation on which to have empathy and understand other people's experience to a degree but then obviously um, she's done all the other work that helps her to understand uh, the psychology behind what's happening so yeah it's uh, that sounds really really good so when uh, when is this let's remind us this is um 30th of may yeah um and there's an event right poster out there that will yeah. be made you know is made public um people can contact the family survival trust or we can put a link with the podcast yeah, we'll, with it. we'll put the link on on the podcast notes um to the event bright um so people can can attend it's uh, it's done virtually am i right so it's really done can... virtually it's online yeah. it's called yeah. talking with Julie jenkins yeah. um and it, it is about her journey but it's also about this new book that she has just finished mm. um outlining her uh, a kind of a self-guide through a roadmap of recovery because there are so many aspects of a person's life that becomes affected by this kind of abuse that you know it, we all do it differently but there are particular milestones that we may come up against and, and so it's considering those yeah great and um i i know that it's partly a an event to try and raise money for the family survival trust so is there a cost associated with uh... no there is no cost i mean and jilly's not getting paid for this talk mm. which we're really grateful for mm. because the idea is that the family survival trust can then use it as a, a, a fundraiser opportunity um because we are you know experiencing an a I, I don't know whether to call it an acceleration but there is certainly a lot of awareness mm. coming out where people are beginning to create frame their experiences and go mm. oh i think this might be a cultic experience that you know my loved ones having or that i've, I've just escaped from and it's giving them those frameworks to navigate that and and so you know that and that's what the family survival trust has been set up to do you know we do other things we certainly want to still continue um bringing pressure to bear on, you know, uh, legislatively mm. to have the coercive control law change so that it will include groups and not just individuals as it yeah. is at the current time. But we also do run a support group for people who have been affected by cultic abuse. And that includes families of people 
whose loved ones have been recruited or are being recruited and people who were born and raised in it, like you, yourself and I, mm. or people who might have been recruited as a young adult and then left. And so there's a real diversity in the support that the Family Survival Trust offers. Um, yeah, and I think it's um, probably useful to mention as well that um, it's not just religious groups. I mean, obviously, that's our background, you, you and I, but um, you mentioned um, in talking before that since the BBC documentary about Lighthouse, which was a coaching group really um self-improvement group um there's been increased or seems to have been increase in interest and, and need for help um with this family survival trust so um yeah it's it's all these sorts of groups not just religions really oh for sure i mean a cultic organization can have an, numerous fronts and numerous mm. persuasions and they will change i mean that that was one of the curious things about the lighthouse group is that it went from being this business model mm -hmm. to now having a real heavy Christian out to it. Um, but that's that's the you know the the power of the leader being able to just switch and change. Yeah. But illuminates the fact that the doctrine or the ideology of the group really isn't what makes it a cult. Yeah. Yeah. It is the behaviour behind the doctrine. It's the is the coercive control. It is the um, abuse. And the violence that comes and go, you know, that is situated within side focus of control that makes these groups culty. Yeah, that, I think that's really important to keep reminding people on that one, really, and um, for lots of reasons. One, because people uh, will come out of these groups and they need help, so it doesn't really mm -hmm. make much of a difference whether it was labelled a religion or a psychotherapy group or a coaching group or whatever. It's the same. Uh, in many respects the same damage has been done but also because there is sometimes a fear that what we're trying to do is you know stop people believing in um their beliefs and having their freedom to to religious beliefs and you know we're always very keen to try and um to make sure that isn't seen as that you know um, absolutely do you, I, I can't stress enough how fundamentally it is important for people's freedom to believe yeah. anything mm. to, to have those thoughts is absolutely crucial and to actually present something that is contrary to that is really close to being um cultic anyway yeah. is, is producing a, a situation where people aren't free to think mm. and so if we want to advocate that we want to protect freedom of thought we really need to think about some of the organizations some of the you know normalized groups that appear readily on your show be it you know the jw's or mm. the plymouth brethren you know these very normalized in our society groups that if we're arguing that these groups are you know it should be allowed to be in our society because to stop them would be stopping freedom of thought we're kind of missing something really important about these groups and that is that the members don't have freedom of thought yeah. the members aren't permitted to be critical they're not permitted to question the doctrine to question the leaders in fact mm. they're not able to they're not even able sometimes to think of those critical things uh, questions because the amount of cognitive dissonance they will experience is just too much yeah or they just can't think in that way absolutely and and um they're 
they're um, not allowed to, in some cases, physically leave. Um, and in other cases, there's a, a kind of psychological barrier to them leaving or, or a support barrier because they have nowhere to go. So um, leaving is another one of those questions. I mean, I, I, I guess my feeling is, is that, you know, I, I have no problem with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or Plymouth Brethren or any religion whatsoever um, or any group. Um, as you said, it's the behaviour. So if they cut that out, then I would be the first to say, you know, absolutely no problem with that uh, that group whatsoever. So it's not the group, it's the behaviour. So for Jehovah's Witnesses, for me, it would be um, end the mandated shunning policy. Um, that, for me, would be perhaps the most uh, important mm. thing they could do. Obviously, do things that all organisations have to do, like safeguarding vulnerable people and making sure things are reported if they're or is there anything going on there or any hint of it um but but there that's fine then if they just did those things then um not a problem whatsoever yeah i mean and and allowing people that that space to think and to yeah. question mm. you know the the you know for me my, my list of things that the brethren would have to do is, is to stop their you know their, their philosophy of separation um which it leads to this, you know, shunning as well, but it also stops people actually communicating, um, mm. being with, eating with, mm. um, drinking with individuals who are not part of the group. Um, but I'd also, and, and other things, you know, other really silly things, encourage people to, to go and think and to be, um, curious about the world, which may well include you know, enable people to go to higher education um, hmm. rather than not permitting it. Yeah. Um, and there's a difference between saying, so I, I think we should always challenge beliefs. So um, whilst people have a right to believe what whatever they like, you know, I, I think people have a right to believe that the earth is flat. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to challenge that point of view. And so I think that's a different thing. So I think we always can challenge ideas. We should always be able to do that. Um, where it comes to stronger action, like trying to get legislation to stop certain things happening, that's where it's a, really all about the damaging behaviours that yes. um, that needs to stop. Yes, certainly, certainly, yeah. and it is. It's about and and for society, we have to really think about this. Do we actually believe that it's okay for yeah. organisations to inflict psychological abuse on? Yeah. They're you know on groups of individuals, and not just groups of individuals who might be there for a moment. But you know we're talking within our experience, and certainly many people we're talking generational yeah. Um, yeah. oppression of of freedom of thought, of freedom of being, and and that's are we really saying as a society that we're comfortable with that? Mm, yeah, and and I guess maybe that's. I don't know. Is that what separates us a bit from maybe a totalist state like Russia? I'm not sure. But what we need to put in place then, I think, as a society, if we're saying our society is a lot better off because we've got JWs down the road and we've got the Plymouth mm -hmm. Brethren doing their thing, we need to have a place and the ability for people who get removed from these groups who get who may choose to leave these groups to go and be supported as they require that support to reintegrate or mm. to become a part of society mm. and 
that's really important. I mean, we see too much violence. And I mean, I think it's exemplified really by the tragic event in Hamburg recently. Mm. You know, if if you know, imagine for a moment if there were such services available, people would leave these groups and they would go and be assigned a caseworker, someone who would be able to guide them in their process of getting employment, which is often really difficult for people who have leave, left, left these groups. You know, there would be um, people that would help them understand the navigation of bureaucracy, but also might actually be able to bear some kind of reference point, some kind of test me around if an individual wants to get a gun license. You know, the, the it would be someone that would know the individual and would be able to support them. And that would, you know, help so much when there is so much need uh, for the person to acquire new skills, new connections, new relationships. Yeah, okay, that's that's a really good segue actually into um, the, the the other thing we wanted to talk about today, um, isn't it, Joy? Because we we've got three. You you put these three points down, and I think they're great. So let let's cover these. Um, so when when somebody leaves, and we've both experienced this, um, there's there's a number of of needs that that person has, and you've listed these in some notes you sent me. So let's cover these. We've got physical needs. We've got emotional needs. And then thinking about how society can maybe support better. So let's, I don't know, let's take the take it from the top. Let's think about the physical needs. So if somebody's left a group, a high control group, a cult of any sort, what sort of physical needs do people have? Sometimes it can be, you know, most of them. You know, I I I left home with with nothing really. I, I had a couple of hundred bucks and I had three layers, three well, three layers of clothing on. That that was my 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 way of getting away, mm. um, and and so I had absolutely nothing. I didn't you know necessarily know where I was going to be spending that night. I was hoping mm. that a plan I had hatched was going to work, but I didn't know. It, and my story could be totally different on the back of that. But and that's not uncommon. People who leave these high control groups do often leave with nothing. They, you know, in many situations, they are employed with inside the group, so they don't have a job. They need a significant amount of finance or something mm-hmm. behind them to ensure that they do have just the very basic physical needs mm-hmm. of food, water, and shelter, um, and before they can then start realizing employment or educational aspiration. Mm-hmm. And, and they are very difficult because often education is skewed um, with inside the cultic experience. And employment, how do you do a, you know, present a reference of how mm. skilled you are in whatever field you're in if the only people you have ever worked for are people that are not going to respond to a reference? Um, you know, and this is where people need, you know, society needs to be able to offer alternative um, approaches for these people who need that kind of support yeah i think i think this is quite an interesting point actually um so one of the things that i suppose most people who ever write a cv so i'm sure we've all written a cv at some time so we we're encouraged not to have gaps in your cv they also Mm -hmm. don't have gaps in your cv so if you're a uh, born in member well you might have a huge great gap at the beginning of your career that what's what's that then what happened there 
Um, for me, you know, window cleaner, which didn't necessarily make the greatest, I'm not, nothing wrong with being a window cleaner, but if I'm, I don't know, going for an IT trainer's role, it's not exactly the most useful bit of background, but that was what I spent my time doing for quite some time. Um, if you went into a group, um, you were recruited maybe in your early 20s or something, again, you might have this big gap where you, what do I put in there? So I had this problem when I was um, doing my CV and I, I tended to, because I was quite old or I was older when I left, um, it was relatively easy for me to just kind of ignore that first bit of my life. But um, on LinkedIn, which is, I think most know it's a kind of work social media type thing, but it is actually quite a good place to be recruited or to recruit. It took me quite a long time, but eventually I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to put my background as being a, a publisher of Jehovah's Witnesses in my LinkedIn profile. It took me till I was in my 40s before I felt ready to do that mm. um, because I felt a bit ashamed. I felt um, it would be looked down upon. Um, but in the end, I thought, given what I was doing in my job, which was a lot around change and improving things, I thought, do you know what? That actually sits quite nicely. So mm. I do actually have it in my profile now. And I'm in there as a publisher of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um from my baptism up to the time I left, which is actually quite a big chunk of my career. Yeah. Um, and I explained in there that I, you know, it was, it was what I was raised and I did this and there were certain things that I did whilst I was a witness that might be, I suppose, transferable. I learned how to do public speaking and all that sort of stuff. Um, but obviously I'm left now. I don't, I don't, um, I'm not a member anymore, but, and also why I left. So, yeah, that's quite, it's quite a dilemma, I think, for a lot of us. You know, what do we put in those gaps? What do we put in those gaps? But, I mean, you, you attribute, you know, this, this huge space of time. And, and there is something about that, that that reflects recovery as well. Yeah. You know, these events in our lives, these adverse events, are often really difficult to speak about. They are mm. deeply traumatising. Yeah. And as a consequence, they mightn't be fully remembered or they might be fragilely constructed, but the, the, it doesn't take the injury away. It, it's having that capacity to describe that injury in a way that doesn't um, reactivate the pain. That That is really, really um, difficult and, and incredibly difficult early on. I remember that, you know, it, it, at times it just would kind of spew out. It would be like mm. this projectile of words that you <laughs> just couldn't get back in again. Yeah. Um, and, and they weren't appropriate for that space. And yet they were, and also were incredibly upsetting and mm. unsettling for myself as a person as a result of doing that. And I think part of finding that those spaces where it's safe to talk, yeah. where you can practice actually articulating some of those ideas is really beneficial. Yeah, that obviously brings us on, I suppose, to, to the second point, the psychological support needed. Um, so let's um, let's go there then. So what, what psychological support of different sorts might there be needed after we leave a group? Well, we're, we're humans. And, you know, tragically, when we are entrapped in these kind of groups, there is this uh, this fantasy that's held certainly from the outside about belonging, about it being community. And in fact, it's not. Inside these groups, it's incredibly lonely and isolating because, in fact, you can't trust other people. You know, if you're having um, thoughts that mightn't be aligned with, with the 
um, doctrine, if you're having doubts, if you, it, it's really difficult to actually find that emotional support within inside the group. So though it appears to be communal, it's quite on a superficial level. It's not at a deep relational level anyway. So, and that's where a lot of the injury occurs. But on leaving those groups, that sense of isolation, that sense of shame, that sense of guilt that, you know, on, in lots of different uh, ways emerges. And I think being able to form relationships is really helpful. Um, and, you know, so a lot of people might gather towards other former members or they might find that actually really abhorrent and they can't bear that. But I think where it's finding a space where you can connect with other people mm. and begin to build those relational networks. We know that that helps. Um, it, it's it's quite, I think it's a really um, vulnerable time, actually, when mm -hmm. you first leave. I think that we feel quite vulnerable in that, in that moment. And that can last years, um, mm -hmm. depending on um, our circumstances, I suppose. But yeah, it's... Um, the need to tell our story I think is an important one and um sometimes it's not it's not easy to explain why we need to do that but we do and you've kind of hinted at it already but I remember a period where I kind of whoever was asking me so first of all I didn't want to talk about it at all because I felt embarrassed and then when I when I kind of got over that then I just wanted to tell everybody about it you know so just some random bloke at the pub you know I'd start talking to him about my background as a Jehovah's Witness and when I left and and all of that and um you know more than one person has um sort of gently said um they're not interested Steve <laughs> and um I think yeah that's unfortunately that is kind of it you, you but you want to get it out somehow you want so it's part of making sense of your own experience um and needing to talk about it I think but um and I know that that's one of the the great values of of the family survival trust is that's one of the things that that this organization does is it allows people to get together and and talk about their experiences it's one of the it's one of the things that that you do as a as an organization yeah, it, it is. And, and I mean, and that does, we, we operate our support groups for two reasons, really. One is to enable that, that, that mm. speaking. Um, you know, even now when I am, you know, facilitating in the support group, to say my name's Joy, I was born and raised in a cult, is actually quite containing. Because if I make that sentence in any other space, I have to have a follow-up yeah. statement to, yes. to, to link it, to make it make mm. sense. But mm. I don't need to do that in the, mm. in the support group. And there, there is something um, confirming in that. Um, but, but I digress. Yes, yeah, so we, we, we want to present also in the support group, not just a, a space where people come and um, articulate their experiences, but to also offer, hopefully, some kind of psychological education about... Mm some of their experiences you know cults operate in very particular ways to enable the enactment of the coercive control to enable um, the end result of having minions following a particular person without question with with absolute devotion um, and, and that takes lots of different points that i think can be explained now with psychology 
and sociological models mm. and sometimes offering people those frameworks can be really helpful so we do that as well as then offer people to consider maybe one of those um, theories and how that might relate to their experience uh, or not you know because the mm. contrary position is always welcome yeah and of course um, one of the things I, I like about um, your setup is that you also encourage people who are families of people who are currently in groups or have left them recently or part of them and um, I think that's that's a really important dimension that I have to say I've not um, thought as much about I guess because it's not my experience but yeah if you're a a dad or a mum and all of a sudden your your daughter or son um, starts to behave in a very uncharacteristic way and they start to break contact with you and they you know that must be incredibly distressing but i think so that's i think that's a really important area that yeah and where do you go for for help and support Mm. for that if your child is hurt or lost and unreachable you know you might go to the police you you know Mm. depending upon how they are physically you know they unreachable could be a psychological thing you might seek support from a gp but there is a real if you're anxious or worried that your child could be um, unduly influenced and manipulated away from the family, which is the initial kind of phase of recruitment, is to isolate the individual from their family and loved ones. I mean, it's really, it's it's certainly Stein goes into it a lot in in her mm-hmm. fear, terror, love, and brainwashing um, book. But it's it's such a crucial part of the recruitment is to mm-hmm. to separate that, and so cultic leaders will be incredibly vile towards the 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 target victim's yeah. family yeah and and say all sorts of outrageous mm. and unsubstantiated comments knowing mm. that they have to cause that rift it's so important to have that rift you know if you you know a young person and you're being recruited into a group like that prior to meeting these people you might have spoken to your best friend about everything that was worrying you or concerning mm. you all of a sudden, the group will make that not acceptable. So that who do you then go and speak mm. to? Who yeah. who do you seek that emotional support from? And it leaves you being dependent on the group, which is you know why we need to educate people a lot more about these structures so they can be alert to them and then hopefully um, develop preventative approaches. So that that. That brings us nicely to society, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, uh, that's one of the things that I think uh, certainly we try to do with the podcast. And um, I know lots of others do with similar things like podcasts and YouTube channels and obviously the FST does and, and other groups as well. I just want to give a shout out actually to other groups that do um, other similar things. Um, we spoke to Cherie D'Souza from Recovering from Religion, and that's particularly Obviously, if you've come from a religious background that was abusive, that's uh, they're a group that help and support. Faith to Faithless is another group that offer similar sort of support. So, you know, there's not a competition here. We we want people, you know, there's not enough help for the people that need it. So wherever you find your your home, really. Yeah. No, and I would advocate that, you know, it, it's it's the need is such that, in fact, the state should be picking up some of this. And, and that's yeah. really, really mm. important because at the moment there are very small charities doing this mm. work, um, some with more resources than others. But, you know, resources are a massive issue 
And there is also something about, there is, a, you know, it, of course it's important that the voice of the lived experiences are being held there. But we have to kind of hold that in mind as well, that people who are recovering from these adverse experiences are often ha- have issues. Mm, or, yeah. or may not want to speak about them or may not be able to speak about them or may need support themselves and yet the yeah. onus is on them mm. to be presenting this education to society at the moment and we need society to listen so that some of that slack can be picked up in a way that could be beneficial to everyone yeah that's a really good point actually um uh, the interview is not out yet but recently i spoke to anka richter um who's written a, a book about cults it's called cult trip i think it's fairly fairly recent book um she's a, a german born but um new zealand national and she was in fact she made this very very point in her book you know it's this is on the backs of the the survivors of these groups that they're the ones that are doing all this work to talk about it so yeah that's a really important point actually yeah we need um I guess we need the help of others, uh, other professionals, um, other people to understand more about this. And this goes back to my point about putting my profile on LinkedIn. You know, why did I feel embarrassed about that? Why did I feel bad about that? Well, it's because society doesn't really understand what being in a cult's like. You know, you still get the same things said about why didn't you just leave? Can you not put it all behind you? All these sorts of things that demonstrate a lack of understanding and mm. the more that society can understand about this the better so I think that's one of, for me that's one of the big things that i'd like mm. to see in general education and to understand what what this is what this thing is i'd like to see schools understand more about it so kids understand it and also in the workplaces a lot of workplaces will um, have people in them who have literally just left a cult some of them might actually be working with or even report to one of their superiors who used to be in the court or maybe are still in the court. So, yeah, there's lots of stuff that I think people need to know more about and education yeah. would be important. Yes, and, and it's moving away from cults being this these exotic roots um, from, from different places. You know, cults are in our society. They are in our midst. We don't have enough information about them we don't know who or what they you know who they all are um and that's part of the cultic thing is they are closed groups that are intentionally keeping themselves hidden in society but we certainly know enough of the people of the groups that are out there that are very obvious um and we need to see these high control groups for what they are which is cultic um rather than just seeing them as something that's away from us and that, that education is really important. Yeah, so on, on the back of education, though, I also think it's really important that we start thinking of how we can educate trainers who are doing the training of social workers, mm. of NHS practitioners, of teachers, you know, these front, uh, public-facing frontline workers to have an awareness as well, you know, yeah. housing officers, to be aware that when someone says to them, I have just left a, a cult or I've just left a group, mm. to be curious about what that means and to be curious about their experience rather than flaking it off or, or, or not thinking that it's important. 
Yeah, and, and that has real implications as well for things like housing because um, or even healthcare and so on, yeah. because there is an assumption that family will pick up the the slack, you know. Um, so, you know, have you got any family that can help? Um, you know, have you got parents that are alive? Uh, well, the answer might be yes, but they don't talk to me. But that might not be understood by mm. um, the social worker or the, mm. the housing officer or whoever. Yes, yes the degree of family, family separation mm. is, is profoundly different um, in a cultic experience to that of family estrangement. Yes. Though both can be devastating, I'm, mm. I'm not saying that being estranged mm. from the family, but it's and, and in fact that question of have you got a family is quite crass, and we need to actually be respecting the individual differences that you can have a family, mm. and it doesn't necessarily mean that they yeah. are supported. Yeah, absolutely. So, what else um, around society then do you think uh, we need to be pushing for? Well, I think it is that general understanding of what a cult is you know cults are hierarchical structures that are totalist um, in their approach that um, are closed led by a narcissistic leader and um, use coercive control to to manage and to contain the the people that they have recruited into their organization yeah, absolutely. And and um, there's one I'd like to, to put in there as well. I know um, uh, Alexandra Stein is um, is also pushing for is is for the government to uh, to be aware, or at least there to be some legislation to to recognise coercive control. You've mentioned yeah. it already, actually, to recognise coercive control as being something that can happen within groups as well as happen within relationships so i mean that was a real step forward when the government included coercive control as an offense um as something that could um you know lead to uh, fines and imprisonments and so on for those who are perpetrating those things it's just that it stopped short of including relationships that are not um part of a i suppose a sexual relationship and that that's um a strange place to draw the line really yeah for sure i mean and it's certainly you're, you're right alex is is you know promoting this idea i mean it's part of the family survival trust vision as well mm. to and you know it's, it's built certainly the report we published last year yes. is focusing on the need for these laws in the uk because this is the evidence that we've got from survivors of these high demand groups and the impact coercive control has had on them. Yeah, I should say Alexandra Stein is um, is one of the board members of the Family Survival mm-hmm. Trust. So obviously, she's very much um, involved in that. And and the, the other thing around that is the charity status of groups who do these things. So for me, um, again, charity status is seems to be all over the place. No one seems to have got a hold of this uh, for a very long time. What constitutes a charity? What sort of um, things are disqualifying for a group to be called a charity? Um, the the irony I would say is the irony is is that people who have left groups and managed to find their way into a job, into earning a living for themselves, essentially then have are having to subsidise these groups through tax benefits that they are able to 
accrue through being a registered charity. Yeah, and I, I think when when there are organisations that have been, dem- you know, that through court of law, through inquiries, have been exposed for mm. committing harm against individuals and committing abuses against children or vulnerable people. You know, if an individual in our society enacts those behaviours, they're put on a register. Yeah. That could sometimes last their life. And they need to demonstrate an answer to that register. You know, why aren't these organisations being treated in a similar kind of way? You know, the JWs recently have been exposed, the Plymouth Brethren are being exposed in Canada at the moment. You know, there are these examples of extreme abuse that that, that has come to light. And yet the charity status just stays in place and it's not being registered. At least ensure that these organisations are demonstrating that that abuse is no mm. longer happening mm. and that they're vigilantly safeguarding against it yeah. before you just hand over those taxpayers' Those benefits. Yeah, money. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, okay, well, I think... I think that's a, that's a good yeah. list. So we, we can see that um, there's plenty to do, plenty for people like you and me to uh, to to talk about. Um, but yeah, the more obviously support we can we can get from the public, the better. So that part of that is is in um, educating the public to raise these questions with their representatives. You know, so in the UK these are MPs, but in different countries they they will have different arrangements. Basically, if if the public don't seem to care about this, then the politicians won't. So it's really mm. important to to make sure that people know that this is a problem and that actually people yeah. care about it. I think. Yeah, for sure. And if people want to look at the report, mm. you know, that we did publish last year, it is freely available on our website. Yeah. And by all means, have a look at it. If you're so moved, then share it with your local representative. Yeah. You know, we have to start putting more and more pressure in mm. these spaces. I mean, and that's, you know, it, we are a small charity and that's why this, you know, event with Jilly is, is so important and why both Jilly and we are excited about, you know, offering this opportunity to think about this topic again, um, but but through her, the lens of her experience. Yes, definitely. Well, that's a good that's a good place to end it. Let's um, let's just remind people of that. So that's the 30th of May. Um, you can access it through the fst family survival trust website but i will also put a link to the event bright on our show notes so you can access it through there um so yeah um, click on that link and um and yeah get yourself to that event um there'll be time to ask uh, jilly questions as well i i do believe so yes there will be great well joy Joy Cranham from the Family Survival Trust. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today um, and sharing all that with us. And uh, I'm sure we will speak to you again. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Steve. And thanks for the time that you've given to me.